0: I'm always very thankful for Calvin choosing his songs. Appropriate. If, if I remember, I'll try to refer to some of the songs we sang this morning, Calvin and Michelle. Thank you for leading us through that. I don't, Pastor, I didn't know Louise was sick this morning. I'm very sorry about that. Is Louise sick or just the kids? Everybody. Everybody's sick. Okay, so the kids can be sick. Okay, the kids can be sick, but when mom goes down, the whole house goes down. So that's the key. We'll have to pray for Louise to get better quickly. I'm very sorry i to hear about that. I always like to kind of hear. What's going on with you? And I'm sorry I didn't hear this much, too much this week about what was going on. Uh, The ACFers have a lot of new freshmen coming. And I'm very thankful for the freshmen that have come to worship with us, to be part of this body. I really pray that you found a home here, a place here that loves you and cares about you, that you have a cell group, you have people come alongside with you that will help you along this journey. And I just wanted to ask people that have been through college that are not freshmen, how many of you wanted to transfer like your first or second week of school? Yeah, raise your hands. Look at this. Okay, so all you freshmen, look around the room because everybody that went through this wants to transfer. So all you freshmen thinking, I picked the wrong school. This is the wrong place. I wish I was not here. It is not unique to you. Many people felt that they've chosen the wrong school. Give it a little time. Give it a little... um, patience, and you'll find that God will help you through this very difficult time. Now, I don't want you to forget our freshmen who have left, Casey, Kaylee, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Alicia, Alex, Michael, Ben, and Darren. They're going through that same struggle. So as freshmen have come here and hopefully found a home here, we can still pray for our young men and women as they're looking for their home, as they're That's the biggest thing we prayed for parents, as Julie and I, that our children would find a home that would love them and care for them. So before I forget, why don't we just pray for um, all of our freshmen and those looking for a new home. Father, I am thankful that you're this God that covers us. We sang this morning about this protection over us. And we pray that especially for our freshmen, our sophomores, our juniors, our seniors, our grad students who are here, under your protection, who hopefully found a home. If it's not here, PCC, another home where that church will love them and care for them, protect them as best they can. But ultimately, we entrust them into your hand. You'll direct them in a way that um, shows that you're a great God that loves them not only today, tomorrow, but into eternity. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So as you know, we're going through John. It's kind of exciting today. We are actually going to be able to turn the page. You're actually going through John 1.14. We're actually going to finish this page today. Next week, you're going to start a second page of your book. So does anyone not have a book before we start? Does anyone not have a book? We want to give you a book today. Does anyone not have a book? There's one right here. Okay, anyone else? We want you to take notes. We want you to have this book with you, so a reference for you. But today, we're going to get to this part here. It says John 1.14, the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. That's going to be our main focus today. So will not we stand together as we read God's word on John 1. Okay, let's read together. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Sorry. Okay. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we are thankful. As Kevin reminded us, this is a special day, a day in your house, a day with your people. We were able to sing and remind ourselves of the great works you've done. And now we get to study your word about Logos, about your Son incarnate, about how he dwells among us and protects us, and that we're safe in his arms. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, may you be seated? So when Pastor Adam speaks to you, he always says some things which I almost 100% agree with. But one thing he says, I have to clarify, he says as we preach through here, we're going to preach through every verse, every line, everything. I'm going to try, but that's only a partial truth. We can't get through every line. Adam can do it. I can't. So we're going to have to skip a little bit today. Uh, We talk about here about the true light. We've gone through light a little bit last week. This light came into the world. And the world was made through him. We talked about that our first week about this Logos, that God created everything through Christ. And I'm just going to briefly mention this that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. How do you guys feel when you guys come to your friends and they don't receive you? You come home to your family and they're not paying attention to you. It's a really awful feeling. Like, you know what? I'm not going to return their text. You know what? I'm going to unfriend them, right? Our normal response when someone turns us off is that we automatically turn them off and we shut them back down. But just think how Christ treated us. His own, which he gave light to, where the world was made for him. When he came to his own, Christ did just the opposite. He fed them. He showed signs about who he was. He healed them. He ate with them. Ultimately gave his life for them. He treated them just the opposite of what we would do. So as he came to his own, his own did not receive him. And one more thing I just mentioned briefly is that one of the ways that Christ was able to get through this, yes, he was God. Yes, he could weather these storms. But we see Christ withdraws sometimes. Sometimes he just took off. He said the crowds are too much and he just withdrew and he spent time with his father. And I encourage you the same thing. When you guys are having these hard times, all your friends desert you, you feel like you're on your own, that withdrawal, That time with the Lord. Say, you know what? It's pretty hard out there. It's a hard world. It's difficult. He withdrew. Okay, I have to go on to the next couple of verses. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is so critical for our salvation, that we receive him, that we believe in his name, and he gives us the right to become children of God. Every one of us that knows the Lord had to go through this process of receiving him, believing in his name. But what I want to show you that there's a huge backstory to what happens when we say that we receive Christ, we believe in his name. That's absolutely true. And all of us that know Christ have to go through this. But look how the verse unfolds before us. Not by blood, not by where you've been born, not by the will of the flesh. As a matter of fact, in spite of our sinful flesh, and not by the will man, not by our intellect, not by our decision, of whom is our salvation dependent upon. But Of God. It's always God. He's the backstory. He's the one working us so that we can believe, so we can receive. All of us do that. But remember how much of God's sovereignty brings us to that position. It's God bringing us to that position. Yes, we respond. Yes. And when we go over these difficult verses that he chooses us, and he's the one that says, oh, don't I get my choice? Yes, you do. You get to believe. You get to receive. But it's only because of what God has done in bringing us to that point. And it's God's choice. He invites us into something larger. He's the main character. We are not. We keep putting ourselves on center stage. and We're going to find today we are not the center. Christ is the center. And we understand that. We know that about Christ. We're going to be very confident of God's choice of us. Okay. So I want to move now to what I just showed you in the book. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is our main thought today. What does it mean that Logos, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us? It's a really interesting term. If you've been with us for more than a year, you've heard me go through this before. When we talk about God with us, being flesh and dwelling among us, there's a very special term for this word, dwelt. When God dwells with us, when God lives with us, when God abides with us, the word here uh, is skeneo. I didn't put it on here, but the Greek word is skeneo. It's "well." It's a very interesting interpretation. It means he pitches his tent. He's like, you know what? I'm going to put my tent pegs right here. I'm moving into your neighborhood. I'm part of where you live, where you are. I'm coming in right here, whether it's on campus, whether it's your work, whether you're in the suburbs. I'm pitching my tent among us. And the word here, is really tabernacled. That's the word. He tabernacles among us. And you've seen this before. I I like to talk about this at Christmas time because that's what what Christ is. When Christ became that little baby born in Bethlehem, it was tabernacling with us. He was the eternal, um, ever-present God up in heaven. But he says, you know what? I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to become incarnate. I'm going to dwell with you guys. And I'm going to be right there in Bethlehem. That's my stake. I'm putting it down right there, tabernacle, skeneo, skeneo, And it's a great word because there's a lot of depth to this word. When we talk about tabernacle, what do you guys think about? You guys remember tabernacle? Tabernacle? Yeah. No? Yes. Tabernacle should ring very true to us in the Old Testament. Every time the Israelites set up camp, every time they put their stakes down they said, here we are, we have all, all these guys. We have Asher, Dan, Naphtali, Issachar, Judah, Zebulun, Gad, Reuben, Simeon, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And if you look real closely, those little tents are the Levites all the way around. The little tents. But they're all surrounding what? What's in the center of camp? Tabernacle. The tabernacle is at the center of the camp. Because the tabernacle is the focal point of everyone. Every time you set up camp. Every time you guys set your stakes down, you're facing the tabernacle. You're looking at God's presence. You're saying that's our focal point. That's our moral compass. That's our guidance. That's our direction. We always look to God. And God was there basically dwelling at the tabernacle. This is where he was at. Everybody faced the tabernacle. That's the center of their lives. That's it. And so that was not by accident that God had every tent, every person looking at him. Every night you look at Christ. You set up your tents. I'm sorry, you look at the tabernacle. I'm getting ahead of myself because the modern day equivalent or the New Testament equivalent of this, most things in the Old Testament that are this big has a New Testament equivalent. Everything in the Old Testament wasn't just for show. All those things in the Old Testament points to something in the New Testament. It's a foreshadowing of something in the New Testament. And here it is. And the word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. does it point to? It's point to Christ. That everything in that Old Testament tabernacle, every little lampstand, every labor, every sacrifice, the Holy of Holies, the um, Shekinah glory on the mercy seat, everything points to Christ. And the word became flesh and tabernacled, skaneoed among us. So Christ is finally here. All those things you had to do in the Old Testament, it all pointed, foreshadowed Christ. And Christ is the incarnation of all that. So every night when you guys camp out at your dorm or your house or your apartment, what is the center of your life? What are you guys thinking about? What are you guys focusing on? What are you decided this is the most important thing before you start your next day, this is where I'm going to be my focal point. For many of us who are working, this is a Google map of my office. That is Cumberland going um, east to west, and north-south is uh, Perry Highway. I'm about half a mile down the road right here. And um, I spend 40 hours there at Ott Family Dental. That is where a lot of my time... And my resources are spent every day. Uh, It was interesting because when my father worked, he worked um, Monday 9 to 11, that's 11 p.m. Tuesday 9 to 7. Wednesday 9 to 11 p.m. Thursday he took off. Friday 9 to 10, he got off a little earlier. Saturday 9 to 5. He put in 60 hours every week. And... I don't know. You have to ask my mom whether that's the focal point of his life, but he put a lot of time in there. When I stepped in her practice, I had to tell Dad, you know what, Dad? I cannot work as many hours as you work. And he graciously did not make me work that many hours. But it could be, for many of us, the focal point of our life. That work. Moving up the corporate ladder. Making sure that people know my status. Making sure I'm meeting the next pay grade. That could be the focal point of our life. For many of you sitting here, it is It is. See, you guys know. You guys know where I'm pointing. It is your projects. It is your study groups. It is your um, tests, your quizzes, your projects you have to turn in this week. I mean, it runs your life. There's nothing more important than getting these projects done. You guys can miss food. You can miss sleep. You can miss church for this. This could be the most important thing. I mean, everything follows what happens at school. You grad students know your professors are basically like slave masters. You have to do everything for them. And you can't graduate until they sign off on you, right? So you are indentured to your professors that way. That could be the center point of your life. Everything could revolve around school. It's very possible, isn't it? What's another focal point? Uh, I get to speak about this man because he's no longer a stealer. What is the focal point of A.B.? Antonio Brown, when he was a Steeler, was our best receiver. I mean, for six years, he was a Steeler. Drafted in a sixth round from Central Michigan. Uh, basically, a punt returner who turned into the best receiver in the NFL. By the end of his contract here in Pittsburgh, he was making $48 million in his contract. But it was interesting. I didn't find a sound until he actually left Pittsburgh, but he created create great problems in the locker room. He wasn't coming to practices, he was coming late to meetings, he was saying that he wasn't catching enough balls, that more balls should be targeted to him. He was already the best receiver in the NFL, but he wanted more. And that cancer in the locker room spread further and further the Steelers finally said, you know what, as good as you are, we can't tolerate this behavior. So they traded him to Oakland. Oakland picked him up for 30 million, so he went 48 million to 30 million, and 30 million He didn't show up for practice again. This time it was because of his helmet. He didn't like his helmet. I don't want that helmet. And he put a great fuss, held off for weeks because of a helmet. And when he finally came to practice, I didn't know this till I read this. He actually came to practice in a hot air balloon. A hot air balloon lands on the practice field and he comes down the field and announces himself, here I am, Oakland Raider. He threatened some of the managers there. He had a physical and didn't have he threatened physical alterations with one of the coaches there. A great problem for Oakland. Never played a game. For Oakland. Oakland finally trades him. Who's he end up with? Our friends in New England, the Patriots. Um, there um, he played one game with Miami, caught one touchdown there. He is now getting paid nine million dollars, from 48 to 30 to nine million dollars this one season. He plays the one game and now he's accused of rape, rape charges. Who cuts him now? Patriots. Now cut him again. So now he's unemployed, making zero money. 48 million, 30 million, 9 million to zero. Why? Why? What is the center and the focus of AB? I'm judging here. I don't know, but I would think it is himself. I think it's the things that I want. It's not about the team. It's not about the city. It's not about anyone else. It's about what me and myself and what I'm getting. It's the focal point. I'm judging him, of course. I don't know him, but I'm judging him that that is the focal point of his life. It's very destructive. It's very cancerous. It hurts everyone. You're better off. Your team is actually better off out without this guy, as talented as he is. So I'm hoping to open up our eyes here a little bit on what the center of your focus can be. It could be work, money, school, self. These things are all very dangerous. I'm going to go to the last book in the Bible now. It's the last book in the Bible, and this is from Revelation. Revelation teaches us Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. Um, The backstory to this is that all these people are around the throne of Christ and these guys come out in white robes. And John says, who are those guys? They're dressed in white. They're the ones who made it through the tribulation. The tribulation is finished and they stood firm to the end. And they stood and they testified Christ. They're the ones who are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in a temple. And it's an amazing thing because as we put Christ and his kingdom first, we seek Christ first. What does Christ say here? And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. This shelter is skeneo. This shelter is tabernacle. There's a much richer meaning to than just God dwelling with us. That's an amazing thing. God dwells with us. But not only does God dwell with us, it's like a shelter of protection over us. It's this idea that it's an umbrella over us. When he tabernacles with us, it's not just his presence living and dwelling with us. He says, you're under my wing. You're under my protection. That this tabernacle extends all the way to the end of time. I'm going to remember what happened here on earth. The tribulations, the thing you've gone through, the things when you put me first, I am your master. I am your Lord. I will protect you. I will tabernacle over you. And what it says here, let me read one more verse here, and then Phil's going to help us with our friend. If you can get our friend ready, okay. And what he says here is that, coming out of the tribulation, the Lamb in the midst of the throne of the shepherd. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne of the shepherd. The Lamb is in the midst of the throne of the shepherd. He's under the protection of the shepherd. And that's when the verse you guys all know, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. When we're under this tabernacle of Christ, it's like the shepherd holding the lamb. You're under my protection now. I am your master. I am your Lord. You, You put your priorities right. Get me as the center of your universe. Get me as the focal point centered, and I will protect you. You'll be under my protection. These are things that... Christ promises us as we get our priorities right, as these things go forward. So I want you to think very clearly about the shepherd and the sheep and how that's an illustration all the way from the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, that it comes up in a way that over and over again we see God protecting us. And now you understand tabernacle not just as that dwelling place, not just as that tent, not just as that one Incarnation, which changes our life, but it's something that throughout time he's going to tabernacle over us, have safety and opposition all over us. So I, I thought very hard this week. Adam always has better illustrations than me. I always have guys come up and do something. It's okay. I think, how can I illustrate to you what it means to have the center of your universe, to have a master relationship that works? So we have a, our, our friend here. If our friend will come up, we have a master and our friend coming up here. Okay. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, here we go. With the appropriate Steeler jersey. Thank you. Thank you for dressing him for church appropriately. That was good. A Pittsburgh Steeler. Okay. Okay, good. So we... No, it's okay. No, it's good. This is good. We... You guys are squealing with joy because there's a good relationship here. There's an excellent relationship here between Master and Dog, in this case. But... What is interesting is that, can I, can I have a wireless? Do we have a wireless here? Can I get a wireless? And one of the masters can talk with us. I'm, I'm going to ask the masters here a few questions about what the relationship is between master and, and the dog here. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. One of the masters, whoever chooses to sign. Okay. So Good boy. I'll introduce the masters. This is my daughter, Mara, and her husband, Phil. These have been masters of uh, Yuki for how long now? Like uh, 10 months? 10 months. Okay, 10 months. So as a master over Yuki, what do you expect from Yuki? What kind of Complete obedience. Complete (laughs) obedience. You complete obedience. You want him to do what? Obey us, follow us, listen to us. Listen to you, (laughs) obey you. And in return, what do you give Yuki? So you expect all these things from Yuki. What would you get in return? A place to sleep. You you, you you give him <laughs> love. love, right? Place what are you doing right now? You are fun things to do fun go things to the, to the do? park. Right. you and fee- you care for him. Yeah. Does does you, he have any idea how much time and energy goes into taking care of him? He appreciates food. He <laughs> appreciates food. I think he think. knows that like if I don't know, if there's like a group, he knows that like we are the ones that take care of him. You're the ones that take care of him. <laughs> right. So is your taking care of him, dependent upon his obedience? No. <laughs> you no. would love him even if he ran off somewhere else? I have. <laughs> <laughs> you would find him even if he ran away and you could not see him anymore? Yes, that has happened. <laughs> that has happened too. So you are committed to him in a way that's not dependent upon his obedience? mm mm-hmm. Interesting. And that is your love for him as his master. No matter what he does, you will take care of him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, I want to, I want to be very clear about that. I don't know if you guys heard anything I just said there. I know you're so intentional in the dog there. But the master's care for Yuki is not dependent on Yuki's obedience. It doesn't matter what Yuki does. And can you tell me why you do this for Yuki, even though he's disobedient at times? Um, Why well, do you care for him? Why do you do all these things for him? Obviously, he's very cute. Very <laughs> expensive <laughs> dog. Oh, wait, wait, let's go on that. <laughs> let's, let's go on that. You, you, you said he's very expensive because you what? We wanted this breed in particular, so mm-hmm. we waited. We took time to find him to You make hunted sure. him out. Yeah. You sought him out. You wanted this one in particular. You chose him among all the other dogs. This is the one you chose, and you paid a great price for him. Okay, he you guys see where I'm going money. with this? You guys understand where this is going? You paid a great price for this relationship. A price that, his par- that your parents actually helped you with, right? <laughs> but we're, we're very thankful that he is now part of our family because Julie and I get the obedience of this too. Okay, um, before we let them go, if, any questions you guys want to ask Master? If not, He's a Samoyed. I get that. All right. After service, after <laughs> Pastor Lee goes, you can play with them, not before, okay? All right, thank you. Let's get <laughs> it around. Thank okay. you, thank you, thank you. Good. Thank you. Okay, I know you can't concentrate for the rest of the sermon. I, I know you, I, I tried to do it later in the sermon, but there's something very important there that came out. One was that Mara and Phil paid a great price for Yuki, they sacrificed, they saved, they paid a great price. Um, and they, ch- they really chose that dog. Out of all the dogs, they, they hunted in the internet for months and things. They you know, searched it. That's the one. That's the one. And they drove all the way to Tennessee to get them. They live in North Carolina. But I'm going to drive all the way to Tennessee to get that dog. After they get that dog, after they pay that great price, there's nothing. There's nothing that will separate them from that dog. They ha- I forgot to ask them, but there's a microchip in that dog. And that microchip can be found anywhere that dog goes. They will track that dog down. They will do whatever it takes. To establish and protect that dog. That is skaneo. That is tabernacling. That is putting my covering. That you're safe. That dog is safe. That dog is completely safe. No matter what that dog does, it doesn't matter. That dog will be well cared for and protected. That is a human love. That's a human love for a dog. Think about our Heavenly Father. An infinite Father. With agape love, with agape love, who says, you know what, you, we're not the center of the universe. I'm not trying to make us the center. So I'm not trying to say that, but he has that same love for us. I tabernacle with you. I'm with you. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you run. I am your master. I am the one that's tabernacling with you. That is what we've learned from our Lord. And what we should understand about tabernacling. Okay, sorry, jumped ahead a slide here, going wrong way. Okay, let's even cover a few more verses. This is about the last couple of verses we're going to cover here. And Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the second thing I want to talk about this morning is we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. So here we have glory twice. We've seen his glory and his glory as... Of the only Son of the Father, we talk about glory a lot. We sing about glory. We actually sang about glory this morning, about what glory is. Glory is very difficult to define. You look up glory in a theological um, textbook and think it's very hard to define. It's kind of like beauty. How do you define beauty? This is beautiful. This is not. It's hard. It's really hard to define. I, I'm going to give you my simple working definition of glory. After reading through them all, glory is every one of God's attributes. Holiness, justice, purity, righteousness, and his grace, his mercy, his love, his kindness, all put together. Just a simple working definition. You take all of God's attributes, everything that we know about him, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, all his love, his kindness, his um, grace to us. You put it all together and it is glory. Let me see if I can read how the Puritans put it together. Your Puritans said it like this. The glory of God has intrinsic value, and excellence, bless you. It transcends the thoughts of men, the tongue of angels. God's glory is worth more than heaven. It's worth more than the salvation of all men's souls. So I think it's, the, it's about us. You know, it's about my salvation. Christ came to save me. Yes, he did. But that's not what the universe is about. It's not about saving me. It's about God and his glory. It's, it's even more worth than heaven. It's more worth than the salvation of all the men's souls. This is Thomas Watson saying it's one of the great Puritan writers. He's with God's glory. That's what it's about. You understand God's glory, you get it right. So, accordingly, in the Old Testament, God's glory was shown them every night above the tabernacle, there's a Shekinah glory. It's like this fire, like every night, like, wow, there's a pillar of cloud during the day. There's this fire at night. And they're looking at it and say, man, that is God's presence. It would light them up, it would give them heat. And that was a, a physical manifestation of God's glory. Right there. So the verse we read, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, we talked about that, and we've seen his glory. How do we see the glory of God now? How do we see this manifest before us now? It's by looking at Christ. When you look at Christ, you see God's glory. All his righteousness, justice, holiness, purity, you see all that. And you also see his love, his kindness, his graciousness, his mercy. That's all of God's attributes packed into a person. It's in the person of Christ. That's the glory. Think, oh, I want to see God's glory. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Like, yeah, heaven's open up. Holy Spirit comes down. That's God's glory. It's in Christ. That's how we know. What does God's glory look like? Look at Christ, and you'll see God's glory. Absolutely. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper. You guys who um, know this, where does this come from? What's the chief end of man? Chief end of man? That's right. You got it correct here. To glorify—this is, by the way, you guys know where to find this. This Westminster Catechism, written in the 1600s. There's 107 questions that are answered very succinctly and very carefully. If you want to know an answer to a question, most likely it's somewhere in here about the character of God that is and the meaning of man. It's here in the Westminster Catechism. So, uh, what we had help with: chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we keep thinking, oh, it's about God making me happy. It's about God fulfilling my needs. It's about God making me feel good. It's about God you know, answering my prayers. That's not actually the center of the universe. We make it the center of the universe, but that's not correct. The center of the universe is for us, like Yuki, to give the glory back to his owners and master. Saying, you know what? You love me, you cared for me, you chose me, and now it's my pleasure to spend time with you. I want to enjoy you forever, to have fellowship with you forever, to sing with you, to have fellowship with each other, to serve each other, to be just like Christ. That's our pleasure because God chose us and he redeemed us. And he called us to say, you know what? I'm paying the price for you. When we understand what God has done for us, it's our pleasure to give God glory. You think, oh, I have to give God glory. That's going to be like, you know what? We're going to love it. When you're in heaven and you get to sing and be in God's presence, you're going to love it. It's going to be a wonderful thing. It's like Yuki coming home. You won't believe what happens when Phil and Mar pull in the driveway. He's looking out the window the whole time. He's looking, looking, like when he sees their car pull in, he gets, he's like scratching at the door. And he's like, ah, I can't wait, can't wait. That is the way our hearts will be before God. We can't wait to be with God. That will complete us. That will make us in the men when we want to be. I talked about wiping every tear from the eye and God tabernacling with us. You want your whole and your heart to be filled. You want to be satisfied forever. You want to have joy forever? Look forward to that. Look forward to that time when we're with our master, and he says, "Well done, good and faithful servant, and we're back in his presence. It's not that far away. It's not that far. We think, "Oh, it's so hard, it's so hardness Yes, it is. But it's not far away, I assure you, we're going to be in God's presence, that those of us that know the Lord, and we're going to be as happy as Yuki seeing his masters again. We're going to jump up and see Christ as our master. And we're going to enjoy his presence forever. Okay, so one way to do that, this is from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians teaches us in chapter 10, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whether you're eating or drinking today, whether you're here at service, whether you're at school, whether you're at work, whether you're in the locker room with your sports buddies, You're supposed to be eating and drinking whatever you do for the glory of God. I can't work this out for you. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know how it works for you. But this verse is very personal. And each one of us has to wrestle with it. How do I glorify God? How do I, like this dog, give my master pleasure? What is it that he requires of me? Each one of us has a specific gift, specific calling, and God says, you know what, use that for me. Glorify me with it. It's your intellect, it's your skills, it's your money, it's your time. It's it's everything God's gave you. And he said, you know what? I'm calling you right now. Glorify me with it. I gave it to you. I'm the owner. I'm lending it to you now here on earth. Use it for eternal purposes. Use it wisely. Use it in a way that gives the Lord pleasure. Now I was thinking about this this week because it was interesting. Because normally on Thursday, Julie and I go down to the... ACF leaders' meeting, and we have uh, seven cell leaders that we eat with. Julie prepares the dinner every week, and she feeds them, and I try to run them through a Bible study, and it's one of the highlights of our week. We enjoy going down and doing that with them. This week, we did not go down. This week, we sent Mara down with all the pizzas and food, and I hope you guys got fed there, uh, and they got to eat. But Julie and I did not show up. Julie and I were actually having some difficulty with some communication in our marriage. She thought one thing, I thought one other thing, and there some assumptions made, and it was difficult for us. And we realized there's some cracks here that were beginning to hurt us, hurt us in a personal way. And so we decided, you know what? We're not going to go to ACF this week. We're going to hold back. We're going to trust that the Lord will take care of you guys, put you guys in the Lord's hands. And Julie and I had to spend time working out. We just kind of like, well, you said this and you said, and we had, it wasn't a knockdown, dragout drag out session, but I'll tell you what, we, had, we said some pretty hard things during that time. Our marriage is not perfect. But you know, for the glory of God, I hope we were able to draw back from that time with ACF and spend the time with each other to work on our marriage, to say, you know what? Oh, you meant that. Oh, you mean, oh. And then there's time, but it took hours to wrestle that out. It wasn't done in five minutes. It took time for us. And our marriage regularly needs those things in order for it to work well. But I hope that that time with Julie was glorifying to God. I hope we were able to spend that time saying know, these two or three hours glorifies God. Because she's my first love. She's the one that God called me to. And I need to love her as Christ loved the church. And I need to do that. before I can serve anyone else, I need to take care of that. So um, that's one example of whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay, my very last point, last thing, and then we'll get ready for Pastor Lee. So Mom, interesting, in our prayer meeting this morning, quoted this verse. um, The heavens declare the glory of God. Something about the firmament. What's the rest of this verse? Mom, you quoted something else about the firmament underneath something. The firmament declares its handiwork. I didn't include that part. Thank you. That's important. But it's very interesting to realize what Pastor Adam shared with us last week. Remember all those charts he showed us about how big the universe is and just infinite? Is, it is amazing. How many light years to go across from one end to the other? 100,000 light years to go. It's It's huge. And some cynics have often said, you know what? your god wasted a lot of space if this is about you know why would your god you know very uh, cynically you know say that just waste all this space and i would say you know that's very true if the universe is about man if this is about us then god wastes a lot of space yeah that's true we're never going to we're never going to make it to the other end it's just wasted but if the universe is about someone else if the center of the universe is God then it makes sense then this hundred thousand light year universe declares god's glory God is the one who's declared here how great not how great man is not me is as ascending the universe it's about God and conversely I mean conversely maybe um, complimentary I meant to say I tell you this if these were silent the very stones would cry out that's what mom was talking about the firmament This, this this land below us also glorifies God. As Christ was coming in on the donkey on the Palm Sunday, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees say, hey, stop it. Make your disciples shut up. Don't let them say that. And Christ says, hey, if these guys were quiet, the very stones would cry out. The heavens above, the stones beneath. Let's go back to Thomas Watson. He has a great quote here. Creatures below us and above us bring glory to God. Are we to think we sit rent free? Isn't that interesting? The Puritans were so keen on this. The heavens above us, the stones below us, are bringing glory to God. Can we, these earthly creatures, say, hey, I don't have to give glory to God. It's about me. I need to think about my stuff, and it's all about me. Or we don't understand that we're just pilgrims here. We're just passing through. We don't own a single stone here. We're going to leave here with nothing in our hands. And we what we are supposed to do is bring glory to God. We exist for one purpose, to bring glory to God. It's never about us. It's never about us. It's about God. We look up, we look down. All we should see is God and be thankful for it and give him the rightful praise of everything that he deserves. Okay. So... As our verses say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, let's pray.